0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: President Trump pulls back on a strike on Iran, and the left and the Democrats are angry at him over it. They say it shows that he's erratic. No surprise there. But the president knows that the Iranians need to change their ways. Welcome to that. Plus, the fight over the ice raids that have not happened yet. We'll get into allegations over a leak. And what AOC is telling illegals across the country. That and more coming up on the Buck Sexton show. This, this is The Buck, Buck Sexton, Sexton Show,
0: where the mission, mission is to
2: decode what really matters
1: with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake.
2: America. Ready. Ready. Your yeah. Great. You're a great American. Again.
1: The Buck Sexton Show begins.
2: Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy.
1: It is Buck Sexton.
2: Now. I think a lot of restraint has been shown by us, a lot of restraint. And that doesn't mean we're going to show it in the future. But uh, I felt that uh, we want to give, give this a chance, give it a good chance. The supreme leader of Iran is one who ultimately is responsible for the hostile conduct of the regime. He's respected within his country. His office oversees the regime's most brutal instruments, including the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. These measures represent a strong and proportionate response to Iran's increasingly provocative actions. We will continue to increase pressure on Tehran until the regime abandons its dangerous activities and aspirations, including
1: the pursuit of nuclear weapons. Welcome to the Bucks Action Show, everybody. President Trump making the right move here. Deciding that we would not fire on the Iranian targets in response to their downing of a uh, $130 million U.S. drone. Uh, he, There were reports over the weekend of a possible cyber attack on some Iranian targets, but uh, we decided not to go kinetic involving casualties, which was the right move. But as I predicted at the time, and I've said on Twitter as well as here on this show, uh. The left would find a way to criticize Donald Trump for not taking lives and being judicious and statesmanlike and wise in his use of his powers as commander-in-chief, which is exactly what I believe he did here. The left found a problem with this anyway. Now, before I get into how they managed to spin this as somehow a bad thing that Donald Trump did, which is exactly what has happened, let me say that They would have absolutely hammered him had this gone the other way. If President Trump had ordered these strikes and 100 or 150 or more Iranians were killed, including, I would assume, some civilians, although maybe mostly military personnel, but even still, military personnel, those are are Iranian lives as well, and we don't want to kill people unnecessarily from any country. Um, But even if he had done that, they would be saying, what a warmonger, what a monster, he's terrible, he's crazy, he's a sexist, he's a rapist, he's all these horrible things, right? That's what they would have said. Instead, Trump pulls back and says, no, we're not going to do this. I've decided we're not going to do this. And what you have are Democrats going forward to say that now the criticism is that he's erratic. Oh, let's criticize the process of the commander-in-chief not ordering for a lethal strike that could have killed hundreds of people and instead trying to give diplomacy and continued discussion a chance here. Remember, they they did not shoot down an armed American. If they shot down, a, a, it was rather a manned American plane. If they shot down a plane they killed our people, I'd say, you know, blood for blood, we got to do it. They shot down a drone. All right, we've now maybe taken some, according to the report, some cyber response to this, but the president has let it be known that the next time there's going to be hell to pay. And I think the Iranians know that, that they should take that seriously. But you know, sometimes it's Maximus the Merciful, for those of you who know the movie Gladiator, and this time around, that was the choice that the president made. I think it was the right one. The Democrats came out criticizing this as erratic, as if consistency in ordering a military strike is something that should they should strive for. It, it's not even clear what they think their criticism is other than just Trump equals bad, orange man equals bad. On Face the Nation, Senator Bernie Sanders described this as uh, Trump's actions to, quote, somebody setting a fire, a basket full of paper, and then putting it out. Somebody setting a fire, a basket full of paper, and then putting it out. See, we didn't even have to go to the audio because I can do it for you. Senator Kamala Harris told CBS's Ed O'Keefe, I don't believe that anyone should receive credit for a crisis of their own making. Huh? Cory Booker said that Trump's handling of Iran was meant to, quote, even when there are strikes on tankers, we see again our allies very skeptical to even believe us right now. This has been folly. There is no strategy here. We have a president that seems to be doing this like a reality TV show and trying to build more drama and trying to make foreign policy by tweet my friends. End quote here. Oh, we've got Harris saying this. Play 15.
3: I don't believe that anyone should receive credit for a crisis of their own making. There is no question in my mind that the current occupant of the White House, President Trump, put in place a series of events that led to that event.
2: How would a President Harris fix the problem?
3: Well, frankly, I, I believe that we need to get back into the Iran nuclear deal. It was an agreement that was being complied with by all parties. It cannot be the goal to, to, to express one's ego and to um, engage in gamesmanship without much serious regard to the consequence. And I think that's what we've seen in this president.
1: Let's just pull apart the nonsense that Kamala Harris is spewing here. One, when she says all parties agreed to, President Obama agreed to it. President Trump did not. This was not a treaty ratified by the Senate. This was one president saying, I'm going to do this thing. And believe it or not, Obama's not president for life. He was not Emperor Obama. He was president for eight years. Now he's not. Now there's a new president. This president doesn't like some of the decisions that Obama made, doesn't like a lot of the decisions Obama made, and he's allowed to undo them or make different choices. This is the system we have. Democrats always talk about the system and undermining it. And what Obama hath done is not written in stone for all eternity, despite what they might like. You know, if he wanted something with greater permanence, he should have taken it to the Senate. There should have been a ratified treaty. That is not what happened here. One administration's foreign policy. Oh, it turns out President Trump agrees with me on this, producer Mike says. I don't even realize this. Play clip 17
2: we would love to be able to negotiate a deal if they want to if they don't want to that's fine too but we would love to be able to and frankly they might as well do it soon it's very sad what's happening to that country the deal should have never been done it wasn't ratified by congress wasn't properly done as you know as a treaty it wasn't properly done it was incorrectly done but we'll get it properly done
1: yeah you know he says they can either do it or not this was always, let me say, before Obama came along with a foreign policy team equal parts arrogant and incompetent. Before Obama came along, it was very much the policy of the United States on a near bipartisan basis to, or somewhat bipartisan basis, to put pressure on Iran to capitulate over its nuclear program. It was not to take all the pressure that had been building on Iran and say, okay, You can keep all of your nuclear stuff. Just don't do any more nuclear stuff for a little while and we'll give you all the access in the international markets you need to become much richer, much more powerful, much more enmeshed in the banking system. Continue all of your malign activity across the Middle East, by the way. Continue your ballistic missiles, but just put a little push the pause button on your nuclear program. That was never what the initial pressure campaign on Iran was supposed to be about. It's not push the pause button so that you can push play at any time. And now we see that's exactly what they've done. They're saying they're going to enrich Iran from 3% up to 20% and from 20% up to 90%. At 90% it's weapons grade. Well, that, that didn't take, you know, this, this all of a sudden we're talking about this again. It's not like, oh, wait, but the Iran deal was in place. I thought, no, the Iran deal didn't do anything to stop Iran from getting nukes. In fact, it created essentially a clear pathway to a nuclear Iran, which was considered from the outset to be unacceptable to the parties that put together the strategy of economic pain on the Iranian regime. And yes, the Iranian state and people to get a change in their behavior. It was not economic pain to get the Iranians to the table so that Obama could create some perception of a foreign policy win. So it would not look like eight years of American hard and soft power were wasted under an incompetent Democrat administration, which is exactly what happened. You want to talk about narcissism and arrogance? The Obama administration put everything into this Iran deal because it was the only way they could create a talking point that their foreign policy was not a failure. Let's just do a quick review, shall we? Syria, success or failure? Libya, success or failure? Iraq? afghanistan north korea venezuela cuba pick, pick a country where was the foreign policy success with the obama administration where did we actually get change that was meaningful from a foreign ally or partner under the obama you know yeah he antagonized israel a lot which the left liked in, in this country what else did he do that was good he surged troops in afghanistan to over 100,000. Dramatically increasing casualties, especially of our of our brave Marines in Helmand and Kandahar. And. For what? What was the strategy to make it look like Obama could be tough on Afghanistan? That was it. That was it. And of course, you know, Iraq pull out, didn't want a status of forces agreement, didn't get one pulled out precipitously. ISIS fills in the vacuum and we know what happened from there. And then you have the Syrian civil war going on. I mean, just Obama was a disaster on foreign policy, a disaster. And these people like Ben Rhodes, these are not good people. These are not people that I think even really try hard to do the right things and just mess up. They're just not good people. They're little petty, smarmy propagandists. The top Obama advisor in foreign policy, Samantha Power, Susan Rice, Ben Rhodes, these are not good people. And that was reflected in the foreign policy. That was reflected in the choices that were being made. They do not share your philosophy of America or right and wrong for that matter when it comes to nation states and their interactions. And so now we have to hear from those who failed for eight years. Oh my gosh, how could Trump have gotten us out of this foreign policy? How could he have done this? Uh, the Iran deal, this was, this was such a brilliant masterstroke of statecraft. Saying that he is erratic is interesting, isn't it? Because Trump came in, in a sense, to office because he's erratic. I remember, and many of you were telling me this early on, many of you saw this before I did. I remember when you were saying that Trump is being brought in to smash things. That Trump is coming in because he will do it differently. Because he's not going to just take the D.C. swamp consensus and run with it. He came in to smash, if not the system, at least the blockages in the system, the parts of it that do not function, that do not work. And one area where I certainly hope the president can fight back and smash back is on not getting pulled into another war in the Middle East. I understand that military, limited military strikes and war are not the exact same thing. I also know that limited strikes in many other contexts lead to less limited strikes leads to an air campaign leads to a no fly zone leads to you know this is what happens and we just don't want to make this our problem anymore and there over the weekend there were stories that there are Trump advisors that really do want regime change they think that they think that now is the time for regime change now is the time that the Iranian mullahs will finally be toppled you have to you have to also remember that there are very powerful people in DC in the pentagon in the White House, in the think tank community, which still doesn't have a lot of influence with the public, but has a lot of influence with the policy community. But they have been waiting decades for this opportunity in their minds to finally delay death blow to the Iranian regime. And they will feel very justified in pushing this president in that direction to try to take it. And I'm here to say no. This is not our fight. This is not our time. This is not what we should be doing. We tell the Iranians, you hit us, we're going to hit you back much harder. We don't want any of this, though. Iran could make the economic pain stop tomorrow. Stop trying to be a nuclear power. You're a belligerent, you're a state sponsor of terror, and we've got you where where we want you, Iran. You want to be a normal country? We're going to bring you into being a normal country. You want to act like this? We're going to treat you like the state sponsor of terror that you are. And not let up because we want to get editorials written about us in the Washington Post the New York Times and make it sounds like the administration's doing a good job no they must cede any belief and right to a nuclear weapons program period full stop that's what has to happen and they have to stop their support of terror and they have to stop undermining our allies in the region in ways that normal countries don't do we don't have this you know we're not just picking on Iran for no reason we don't have this problem with Bangladesh, we don't have this problem with Ethiopia. You know, We're not running around just picking countries at random and saying, do what we say or else. The Iranian state has brought this on itself and it should pay the price and pay the consequences. But that does not mean invasion. It does not mean regime change. It does not mean this is our problem to fix. We've cut them off financially. They know our terms. They can either meet them or suffer the consequences. That should be our posture toward them. And I think Trump gets that and the fact that democrats are whining about it and acting like trump is somehow in the wrong here just goes to show you that even when it comes to life to saving human lives pelosi and booker and harris and the rest of them would rather score points against trump than let men and women in iran go back home to their families for at least another day tells you a lot about what the opposition's all about we'll be right back
2: I'm not looking for war, and if there is, it'll be obliteration like you've never seen before. But I'm not looking to do that. But you can't have a nuclear weapon. You want to talk good, otherwise you can have a bad economy for the next three years. Not as far as I'm concerned. No preconditions. That
1: seems like the proper positioning to me. Why isn't that right? What about what Trump is saying there is problematic? What about what Trump is... Putting forward, would it, should anybody who knows anything about this disagree with? He's saying you can't have nuclear weapons. He's saying, you know, you can deal with this or you can go on as is. And he said that there are certainly people in his administration that come from different sides of this, which I think is a good thing. Don't we want the president to hear both sides of the issue? Play 14. You can't have nuclear weapons. And if you want
2: to talk about it, good. Otherwise, you can live in a shattered economy for a long time to come.
1: If you are you, do you feel like you were being pushed into military action against Iran
2: by any of your advisors? I have two groups of people. I have doves and I have hawks. Yeah, you have some hawks. I have hawks. some hawks. Oh, yeah, John Bolton is absolutely a hawk. It's up to him. He'd take on the whole world at one time. Okay, but that doesn't matter because I want both sides.
1: It's isn't it? Isn't it amazing how this president? wants both sides is trying to be deliberative and thoughtful about as important an issue as faces any commander in chief, issues of of war and peace. And they've been saying they've been saying that he is the problem. You know, the establishment is saying that he's the one that's pushing us closer to war, that he's the one that can't be trusted. And Obama and Bush Mid East wars that we did not have to fight. Trump trying to keep us out of a War. He gets no support, including uh, you know, from, from Democrats who are generally opposed to all U.S. military interventions abroad. They're still finding a, a way to make Trump the problem instead of giving him credit where it's due.
0: We will make a full and complete education, a human right in America, to which all of our people are entitled. This means making public colleges, universities and HBCUs tuition free and debt free. This proposal completely eliminates student debt in this country and ends the absurdity of sentencing an entire generation, the millennial generation, to a lifetime of debt for the crime of doing the right thing and that is going out and getting a higher education. Our proposal which costs 2.2 trillion over 10 years will be fully paid for by a tax on Wall Street speculation similar to what exists in dozens of countries around the world. Oh, here we go. Bernie Sanders is going to get rid of 1.7 trillion dollars of student loan debt all at once. 1.6
1: trillion gone just disappeared in the couch cushions. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Bernie Sanders saying that if you have outstanding student loan debt, it will just disappear under his administration. I'm sure this is very popular to some folks. This is problematic, my friends. It's a terrible idea, really. That's not to say there won't be people who benefit from it. I know probably a lot of you listening to this would be like, wow, Buck, that would be kind of cool. It would be nice to be free of student loan debt. Okay, but... His plan is different than Elizabeth Warren's plan. Elizabeth Warren's plan from a couple of months ago was to, and this is, you're now seeing the progressive fight that we all knew was coming between Warren and Sanders. Warren and Sanders, here's a, here's a, I think Warren's going to win this, meaning she's going to beat Sanders. I think Warren is going to become the progressive candidate. I think, my friends, despite her DNA debacle, I think Warren may be the Democratic candidate. I know it's. I know you're saying "fuck" right now. Those you're driving, please, please drive safely. You know, keep your keep your eyes on the road ahead of you. But you're probably you know throwing something out the window. Um, yeah, I, I think that it could be warned. The Democrats don't. They didn't care that Clinton lied and was and had all the baggage that he had. They don't care about Warren's baggage. She gives them a lot of what she of what uh, they want. She really does. She she fills in a lot of the boxes for them. A woman, which they still haven't gotten over the whole Hillary didn't break the ultimate glass ceiling thing. She's very progressive. She has, you know, the impressive academic background, not earned by being an impressive academic, but she does have the background. She does have the resume. So Warren is very, very real back in contention again. It's just, this is the world we live in now, where she can be a bizarro and a liar and a fraud, but Democrats are like, so what? Her plan, though, For whatever it's worth, was more realistic as these things go. It would have capped all debt forgiveness for student loans for each individual at $50,000 and would have also tapered off for households that earn over six figures. Sanders is just tabula rasa, clean slate. It's a party, baby, going down to zero. No more student loans. That's what he's telling you. They all go away. They all go bye-bye. Well who pays for that, you say? Because there's debt owed to somebody. That's what student loans, you know, debt means there's a counterparty to somebody else. So in this case, the federal government has backstopped these loans. The money's already been paid to the university. So the federal government, I suppose, just pretends like this money was never owed, comes from somewhere, is going to come from somewhere else. I mean, what is the real financial mechanism that's going to be used here? That's not even all that clear. But, there are so many problems in this, in the implementation never mind, in the conceptualization, which I'll also get into. Almost 40 percent of student loan debt uh, that has been, has been taken out at this point is for graduate schools. These are people who are, in many cases, specializing in and trying to advance their professional careers. And this is something that I, I know of because you are listening to a radio host who got into media because my choices were MBA program and a couple of hundred thousand dollars of debt by the time I paid it off. Or take a job with a little company called The Blaze and this guy named Glenn Beck, who took a chance on a kid that had never done media before, turned out to be pretty darn good at it. And thank you, Glenn, by the way. And I'm always going to be thankful to Glenn for the opportunity. But it was no small part of my decision-making process to be like, cool new company with a paycheck? Or... Go to a fancy business school and just start running the running the you know the clock on massive loans, big loans, you know something like seventy five thousand a year because you have to take out living expenses too, and then by the time you pay that off, if you pay it off on the schedule, it ends up being two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars you're paying off for two years of school, folks. Okay, I looked at that and I said, nah, you know I came out of the government, I had very meager savings. 95% of you listening to this, I'm sure had more money in the bank than I did after six years in the intelligence community. Um, and I just decided that I wasn't going to do this. So I look at this and I say, oh, okay. So, you know, I could have gone to that Ivy League MBA program and taken out $250,000 in loans and like have it all just wiped away for me. I still would have done the media thing, but I'm just saying that, you know, <laughs> that would have been a, a more difficult decision at the time. Oh, don't worry, Buck, at some point, the socialist is going to come along and be like, guess what? It's all free. That's right. Happy New Year to me. No more debt. So a lot of this is for graduate degree programs, which is, you'd have to wonder, so now we're going to make, you know, we're going to make it easier for lawyers and doctors to pay off their debts. But meanwhile, what about people that got jobs right out of school or didn't even go to college and just were working? Do we pay off their mortgages? Do we pay off their credit card debt? Does individual choice matter at all here? I mean, this isn't, nobody was fooled by the price of their, of their college tuition. They were told what it was. They signed on for this. And yeah, the, 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 the truth is college is too expensive. That is, that is the truth. College is too expensive. It is too long. It is too expensive. Grad programs are too expensive. These universities have become bloated full of administrators and just massive budgets and and the, the endowments they have. It's just crazy. They're like multinational corporations. I mean, you look at the, you know, Harvard has a $20 billion endowment. These places have so much money. They have so much money. And the tuitions are still so expensive at these schools. I know some of them are going toward free, because they have so much money, they're not going toward free tuition, but most of them, you still pay... Fifty, fifty-five thousand a year. Some of you were like, "What?" You know, my state school was great. It was maybe fifteen grand in state, maybe ten grand in state tuition, and that's for a, you know a good state school. Fifty-five. My college, Amherst, fifty-plus thousand dollars a year for four years. You know, I mean, you look at this, and it's all about credentialing too. It's really not about skills training. The skills training comes more in the grad programs. The grad programs go toward higher earning potential that's why people generally do it although if you want to get a PhD in 18th century French literature, God bless. but people look at this program they say, well this is in a sense this is socializing the costs of higher education for the upper middle class which is predominantly white and predominantly pretty well off. And this is Bernie Sanders big idea this is gonna this is going you know so help the country. What about bringing down the cost of these schools? How about some pressure on them? Because right now, with the federal government backstopping all these loans, the schools have no risk. They just keep raising prices, raising prices. Higher education has become this cartel where they have, they have buyers that they know are going to be there for their product. And they can take them on loans. They can bring them in and let them get paid, even though they're all a lot of them are taking out loans to pay for these institutions because there's really nothing, you know? There's really you know, n- nothing in terms of risk. This is a problem. People should think long and hard before they take out a massive loan. I try to live life debt-free. I do not like debt. Debt for education under very specific circumstances is okay, but you got to know what you're doing and it's buyer beware and debt for a home. And you better love that home, not as an investment or anything else. You know, that's your home, right? These are, those are the only debts in my, not that I'm a financial advisor or anything, but I just, debt is bad. You do not want to be living in debt. You certainly don't want credit card debt. You don't want, you know, car loan debt. You don't want to have that kind of debt at all. Student loan debt is a popular issue. It will mobilize voters. This will, but this is a giveaway. And this is a giveaway that is privileging. It's picking winners and losers in the market. And I sit here and tell you that I made a choice. And my choice was to work, to work for not a lot of money in a very uncertain job where I could have been fired any day. And thank you, Glenn, for not firing me. But I could have been fired any day. Or I could have gone to a very fancy, I got into very fancy MBA programs and realized that the debts that I would incur in those programs were just going to be a problem for me, and, and I wanted to get married. I'm working on it, I know. And I want to start a family and I you know do all these things, and I didn't want to have a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt hanging over my head. So I made a choice. And now what Bernie Sanders and, to a lesser extent, Elizabeth Warren saying is, yeah, but, you know, the people that made the other choice, they actually made the right choice because the government says so. We're going to bail them out. You know uh you know at some point we also have to ask if everyone's education is paid for all the way through college that means everyone's more or less going to go through college and if everyone's going to go through college then how much is college really worth as a credentialing program and if it's not really worth that much as a credentialing program meaning that you're not going to get some great job cuz you went to a four-year college then what is really the worth of that four-year education wouldn't it be better wouldn't people be better served to have a much more rigorous high school education and then immediate professional job training or go into a career field and then maybe go to college after that. I wish I had had a year or two. I mean, I think the norm of a year to either do service or do a job, I think that every 18-year-old in the country who has never done it would benefit from showing up to a place at a certain time and being told, do this thing and I will give you money at the end of the day or the end of the week or whatever it is. And no one's celebrating your, you know, showing up and no one's giving you a trophy. And, you know, you have response. And if you mess up, you get fired. I think everybody would benefit from that who hasn't. I know a lot of you will say, Buck, I was doing that when I was 13. You know, some of you were Ron Swanson style running the sawmill when you were 12. Whatever it is, I'm just saying it's a good thing to understand that responsibility. It also means that when someone tells you, hey, so now you're going to have four years or you know, maybe it's less than that, so maybe some are going to two-year junior colleges, but let's just say it's four years, because that's what a standard undergrad program is. You have four years to just study and learn and improve and get better. You really think about that differently when you've, because you know, I've, ha- I've done jobs where no one cares that you're there. No one, no one is patting you on the back and telling you, oh, you're so great or you're so wonderful. I mean, I know all of you have had this too, right? You, you do a job where you're just labor, and you know, I've har- I've carried hot equipment around in the sun for very little money at a day camp. I mean, I've done things. You're like, what? They're not fun jobs. Not fun jobs. You know, not even as a coach, just as like the equipment manager guy. I mean, I you know, I've done things. You're like, ugh, and for very little money. And it gives you an appreciation for someone telling you. And this is why the loans matter as well. The loans are a responsibility. It's about making responsible choices. We cannot make this kind of determination in society from the government on down where all of a sudden some people's choices are ratified because it's politically convenient, while the rest of us who have lived debt-free, who have paid off our loans, who are paying off our mortgages and working really hard to do it are told, well, why isn't my debt canceled? And I'll never even I haven't even gotten into the economic implications and the tax implications of free college for everybody and free, you know, this free-for-everybody stuff, this is dangerous, folks. This is bad. This leads down a very, very destructive path for our economy. You know, there's whole philosophical underpinnings here of what does it mean to individual choice and responsibility and you know, the changing relationship between citizen and state, but I don't even have time to get into all that today. We'll have to revisit this probably tomorrow. And I, I don't even want even, well, even get to the immigration stuff that's going on right now, which is huge. Well we got this woman who's accusing Trump of rape. We're going to talk about that the next hour. We got Central Park Five stuff. I wanted to update you on. I've I got a lot of show, folks. So uh, stick around.
3: Following the asylum process, the legal standards yeah. when they're here. So should they be prosecuted? Should they be deported?
0: I don't like this deportation thing at all, and I think Trump uses this as a beginning to do worse things to come.
4: So when I spoke to the president, I said, "Look, I'm a mom. I have five kids." Seven, nine grandchildren and and um, your children are scared. You're scaring the children of America, not just in those families, but their neighbors and their communities. You're scaring the children.
1: You're scaring the children. Nancy Pelosi's argument on immigration summed up in one sound, I guess that's what this is now. You're scaring the children. Um, let me say that children are scared when their parents get arrested for anything. Doesn't mean you don't feel bad for the kids, but children are scared. Children are separated from their parents as well over tax fraud, over possession of drugs, over, oh, over weapons possession cases that are sometimes very murky and very anti Second Amendment. I mean, there's a lot of reasons people get separated from their families and where children get scared, but only on illegal immigration is it okay to break the law. And all we should care about is what does the family that's affected by this thing. You know, I I don't hear Nancy Pelosi shedding tears for people that are engaged in Medicare fraud who get separated from their kids or who engage in tax fraud who get separated from their kids. And no person could ever make the case to me with a straight face that one instance of tax fraud does anything to anybody. The only the only victim of that crime is the state. And it's at a level that is so insignificant that who really cares? Ah, but it's deterrence enforcement, right? It's meant to send a message. Is illegal immigration bad or not? This is the fundamental question that Democrats cannot answer. Or if they do answer it, they tell us what they won't then say up on the debate stage this week, which is coming up in just a couple of days here, which is that, no, they don't think anything is really wrong with illegal immigration. They just want to manage it. They just want to be more in control of illegal immigration, but they don't want to stop it. They don't want to deter it. They don't want to enforce the laws on the books. This is... A problem. This is a problem, my friends. Um, Bernie Sanders coming on saying that there should be no deportation. If we're not going to deport people that have already had all their days in court and have been found by that court to not have any legal right to stay in the country, if they don't get deported, who does? Remember, these are people that have have had their say, they've showed up, they've done all, and now they've just decided that they're not going to show up for either their final date Or they're just going to avoid the authorities and and hide when they're supposed to be deported. I mean, Democrats are in favor of lawlessness. That's what this is. Let's speak plainly about it. And they better pay the price at the ballot box in 2020 or else we are heading for mass amnesty in a very different country going forward.
0: Would you consider uh, bringing a a rape charge against
2: Donald Trump for this? Why not?
4: I would find it disrespectful to the women who are down on the border who are being raped around the clock down there without any protection. They're young women. They've you know, tried to come into the they're, they're As you know, they're there by the thousands. The women have very little protection there. It would just be disrespectful if I, you know, and mine was three minutes. I'm a mature woman. I can handle it. I can keep going. You know, my life has gone on. I'm a happy woman. But for the women down there and for the women, actually, around the world, you know, in every culture this is going on, no matter high in society or low in society, it just seems disrespectful that I would bring, a, it just doesn't make sense to me.
1: That's E. Jean Carroll, the woman who just last week and got a whole bunch of publicity from it, as I'm sure she knew she would, and I believe that was a large part of why she brought this up um eugene carroll who was has now claimed in a book that is just coming out so the timing is certainly from a book sales perspective very fortuitous for her uh, that donald trump in a uh, barney's or Bergdorf goodman i forget which one one of the in this this storied department store in new york city had a brief encounter with her pushed her into a dressing room, and forcibly raped her against her will. And she said it lasted about three minutes, and that's her story. And she did not raise any official complaint at the time, did not go to the police. That's it, nothing else. And now we are left, once again, to, based on a woman's word, decades after the fact, right, this isn't a woman's word from last night, where there's automatically going to be verifiable things were you in the place where this thing was said to have happened was the person that you claim attacked you in the place where you said this this is how investigation works i'm familiar with this you verify all the known facts you see if the story lines up and you know this is why when it comes to a defense against an allegation of rape the two general pathways are either uh it was consensual which can be a a tough thing to prove or disprove and that's you know that's going to be a court fight and that can be tough um or i wasn't in that city that night because sometimes despite what you hear from the media there are completely disconnected from reality wildly false claims of rape made against people in fact uh, uh tucker carlson has spoken about this before publicly on several occasions where he was accused by rape of a when he was at cnn of a woman he had never met in a city he had never been to. She was deeply mentally ill. But she filed the claim. And the police, when they have a woman that they believe is credible, they can arrest you just on that. They can just decide to pick you up, and now you're now you're being processed for a rape charge. So you can imagine how that would go, or you know, how that would make you feel, even if you knew you had never met the person and never been in that city. But so that's why the distance from the event is is all is relevant here you know if it's a a day ago a month ago a year ago you know maybe four or five years ago even you might have some chance of verifying there's no way to verify any of this none of it this is Kavanaugh 2.0 this is all over again you know she she she, there's nothing she doesn't have a receipt from that day she doesn't know nothing no she says she has the dress that she wore okay well how do we know that I mean I, I would be curious to know if I don't know if 30 years later they could expect to find, you know, DNA evidence on it, but that would be interesting. Um, But then again, I'd be wanting to know if, you know, a a whole bunch of things here. Like, why'd she wait this long? Why the timing of this? And what is Donald Trump supposed to do in response? And all these women who come forward and say that, that Donald Trump sexually assaulted them, none of them thought to ever make a complaint to the police. Why? Because of what? Um, Notice how these claims remain untested by the media and by the public. They're out there, but they don't really chase them down. Just like they didn't chase down Julie Swetnick. Julie Swetnick is a crazy person. She's a liar. She was the third accuser of Brett Kavanaugh. She wasn't confused. She wasn't misremembering. She is a crazy person seeking attention. She's a liar. I believe the second woman as well is a liar, and I think that Blasey Ford is unfortunate in that she is, uh, I think that she's mentally ill, but I don't know, I think that she believes what she is saying, but she wouldn't be the first person that misremembered something from 30 years ago and with mental illness behind it or involved in some capacity. Uh, And I don't mean mental illness as in she's not, you know, not of sound mind entirely, but, you know, I think she has probably deep depression and anxiety issues and, you know, has, has got stuff to work out. And I think she was wrong about what she said about Kavanaugh for many, many reasons. But this is the, the slimiest and most underhanded tactic that you can really think of. The I'm going to fight against my political enemies by making accusations that destroy their character, destroy their reputation, that they have no means of of uh, really disproving, you know, effectively dispelling these allegations and it's just it's the ultimate smear tactic, you know, think. Of, and that's why the Kavanaugh situation was such a wake up call for many of us, because they could do this to anyone. And all these journalists I saw who were refusing to accept that very simple fact were idiots and they're disgrace to their profession, which is supposed to be about facts and information that could be done to anyone. Anyone listening to this broadcast that's been on the earth long enough, you know, someone could come up and say that you in a, you know. in in the town that you lived in 30 years ago, they saw you behind a a quickie mart and, you know, you did something terrible to them. And how do you prove that they're lying? You can't prove it. You know, how do you prove it? You can't. They can just say this, just, just ruin you. Oh, but I always knew. I said it from the beginning. Me too would be weaponized against conservatives. And it was really building all along to be weaponized against Kavanaugh. You know, it was a real movement as often, by the way, you know, this is like when you think of, you know, Marxist revolutionaries. There are real problems in the societies when they come along and say there are real problems. You know, the the you know the czars in Russia were corrupt and were not connected to the people and were brutal and okay. But that doesn't mean that the new regime can come in and do whatever the heck it wants. But that's what ends up happening. You know, the Me Too movement. Yes, there are bad actors that have been found by it. That it's a good thing that they've been taken down as a result. But. What then happened is they go, oh, OK, so we have all this power now to take down powerful men. So let's use this for political purposes and destroy Kavanaugh. And that's what they did. Well, they tried to. And that was a close fought battle. Kavanaugh just barely made it through. E. Jean Carroll, I don't find her allegation to be credible. I'm surprised that some of the people on the right that I've seen who say they do think it's credible, I do not find it credible. I think she is not telling the truth. I don't know if she knows she's not telling the truth. I think she's not telling the truth. And I think that it's also utterly bizarre that when asked why she won't because forcible rape in New York City, there's no statute of limitations on it. If you forcibly rape somebody, the charge can be brought at any time. Why she won't bring it because of the women on the border? What does that have to do with anything? How, How is that relevant? I mean, this is like saying, why don't you bring a rape charge against Donald Trump? You say he raped you. Imagine if the woman said, well, I really dislike his tax policy, so I don't want to confuse things. You'd think that that was uh, was completely bizarre, right? Well, that's, in a sense, what happened here. You got a bizarre answer, something that has nothing to do with anything. And that's how she responds on TV. And then there were other things she said, too, about how she wished she had gotten his tax returns. I mean, she's a partisan, obviously. She's a left-wing columnist. Kind of one of these like life advice, sex columnist people, I think, sex advice columnist. I, I don't know exactly what kind of advice she gives, but you know, I'm assuming it's like a dear, what is it, dear, dear Abby, or I guess dear Jean in this case. Mark, what do you, what's the, who's the famous advice columnist? Do you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, it's dear Abby. Dear Abby, that's right. Thank you, Mike. Um. So, yeah, she's one of those. I mean, hey, producer Mike. Am I allowed? to – I don't want to get you in hot water because I know you got to go back to Brooklyn, and there's a lot of like libs running <laughs> around there. But I mean, do you do you find? I think this woman sounds sounds a little nuts.
3: yeah, it doesn't sound right at all. Because um, one of the things you actually were saying with the dress,
1: she gave a really crazy explanation for that interview that we played. I believe was from MSNBC. Still are talking to CNN, and she was asked about the dress, and her answer for that was even more off the wall than the answer she gave about you know the whole story. Like, she, she was afraid to look at it or something, and it just doesn't line up to me. Yeah. She's afraid to look at it, but she wants to go on TV and talk about it? Right, exactly. No. And this is, folks, you know, this is why all we have is our ability to think through these issues and, and try to be fair-minded in our approach to them, and I I do not find her allegation credible. Um, I, I do not think that this is a, a real... Uh, I, I don't think that I do not believe for one second there's zero percent of me that believes that Donald Trump raped this woman. Zero percent of me that believes that. we will be right back.
4: We have a picture of it because you're on the front page of New York magazine. This is the exactly the outfit that you were wearing the day that you say the attack happened. You have kept that dress. You've never worn it again. You say, have you ever dry cleaned it? no. The thing is, you we all have dresses. You just hang them in the closet, something bad. You didn't have a good time wearing it, and you never put it on again because it's just a bad luck dress. I never felt like putting it on again. I did not turn it into a talisman. I didn't wrap it in plastic. I didn't think. I just didn't want to put it on again. I guess my question is, Is could there be any DNA I on no there? have no idea. I do not know if the president ejaculated. I have no idea.
1: Wouldn't just be that, Pardon me for playing that on air, but that is that is what was played on CNN today. Uh, their DNA is not just that, folks. There's you, you leave DNA, you, you know, hair and and, you know, yeah, there's a lot of ways that DNA can get left behind. Um, and if she's telling the truth, yeah, let's let's see it. Let's let let's put that in a forensic laboratory and see what they come up with. I, I'm willing to bet they won't come up with anything. But notice how she just wouldn't wouldn't if you were her and you thought that if you were e. Jean Carroll and you really believe that Donald Trump did this to you and some someone and, I, and she's never thought of that before. I would know no one's ever brought up to her that she could have that even at this point. DNA doesn't fade. I mean, DNA can last decades. So, I mean, it, it fades, but it, it, it can last for a very long time, much longer than, say, fingerprints will. Um, what is it that is stopping her then from doing it? But you'll see she goes, well, you know, I don't really, you know, she's not interested. Why is she not interested? Don't you want to get the guy that did this to you? He's the President of the United States. It'd be quite a story. It's because she's lying. I mean, she's lying. I, they can tell me, oh, Buck, you can't say that. She has a right to be believed. Really? Did Jennifer Flowers have a right to be believed? about oh, Bill Clinton, we can play this game all day. I listen to the facts of individual cases and decide whether or not they are credible. I'm trying to get to the truth. Always here on this show and in general in life, I do not find her story credible. And I think that those who do find it credible are blinded by their hatred for Trump. Let's also just one other component of this that does not get nearly the thought that I think it should here is so Donald Trump meets a woman in one of the most storied department stores in the world. And I just mean that in that it's very crowded and there's a lot of security, there's a lot of people there. And he doesn't know this woman at all. So he has no belief that there's some social pressure that she would keep quiet or, you know, that that they've had dalliances before and he could maybe get away with pushing the envelope or something like that. He doesn't know this woman, says something to her and then pushes her into a dressing room and forcibly rapes her in the process, risking not just his his reputation, but his freedom and rep, you know, risks going to prison for 15 or 20 years and was that reckless, and that predatory and criminal. Really? I'm sorry, I do not find that credible at all. I just don't. You know, this isn't up in the, you know, this isn't up in the, you know, the Trump Tower late at night, alcohol, he said, she said. This is is the equivalent of a guy sees, you know, that Trump sees someone in an alley and attacks her, and then just, you know, runs away. That's, that's not who, I mean, that's not who Donald Trump was. Come on. He was a playboy, no question. He's a philanderer, no question. That's a long, that's many, 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 many miles away from what she's talking about. Forcibly raping a woman in a department store? It's just, folks, they're, they're, they're so full of hatred for the president. They, they, are, they think, here's the real problem, and this is true of Blasey Ford, this is true of, in a lot of these cases. They think that the lie is justified by this greater good that they're trying to achieve. I'm sure that in, in her mind, whatever doubt she has about the truth, whether she knows it's all a lie or if there's she saw him or some you know, there's some way that she makes it seem like less of a lie in, in her mind, but whatever it is, it's justified by the fact that Donald Trump to the left is worse than Hitler. So whatever can be done to destroy him, I mean, if if you could destroy Hitler's uh, persona before he becomes the head of the of the third uh, you know of the Third Reich. I mean, would you would you do that? Would you feel justified? I mean, I know it's a crazy question, but they they think that Trump is operating concentration camps. They say they think that Trump is a threat to. Meanwhile, Trump is somehow a threat to world peace and stability because he doesn't want to go to war in the Middle East, as we've been discussing. I mean, this is this whole thing is astounding, isn't it? They really hate the fact that President Trump showed restraint here. They would hate it much more if he hadn't showed restraint, but that's just because they hate Trump and all things about him and everything that he does. There's nothing that Trump does that's, you know, in any way mitigating in their minds. But, you know, I, I, as a man, as an American, as somebody who believes in truth and believes in the presumption of innocence and the rule of law, this destruction of conservative political figures via and you see it more with Donald Trump but obviously Kavanaugh was the real high watermark of this of this frenzy uh, frenzy the destruction of people with undisprovable allegations of sexual misconduct rape as all this is uh, this really tears at us as a society I and mean, this really makes it so that the worst among us the worst impulses in our, in our politics are given a a means of being Act it out. Right. I mean, if someone is willing, uh, if someone is willing to bring these allegations, they have a power that's that's irrefutable, even if there's no underlying evidence, even if it looks. Look at me, this woman, maybe she'll sell more books now. I also, by the way, I, I think that there's you're allowed to bring this into the discussion. I mean, she held back on all this until she was. Able to benefit personally from it, I think that that's then fa- I think that's fair game to say. Well, why would you wait until you had a book to write about this thirty years later? Is, isn't it, isn't it more? Oh, I'm sorry. She cares so much about the women at the border who she says are being raped, and I I guess she means by the cartels. I assume she means that because that is happening. It's not. There's no systematic rape going on in in the detention facilities. Um. Uh, but she's so worried about them. What about the women that would have been subjected to the alleged predations of Donald Trump for during all those years? Doesn't she, didn't she owe them something by coming forward? No. Folks, she's, just, she's lying. I just, it's just not credible. I mean, if she provides evidence, if there's DNA on this, on this dress or whatever, I mean, then I'll change my mind. But based on what she's said right now, it's just not credible. And we have to maintain this. We have to have critical faculties when there are horrible allegations made about any person. What are the facts? What do we know? It's not, do we like the person or not? And that's what the left is trying to do. They're trying to change the justice system to make it about what you like. So I watched the first episode of When They See Us over the weekend. And this is about the, the Central Park Five and the Central Park jogger case from uh, 1989. A case that even though I was very young, I remember it being talked about by all the adults around me. I remember this was the, the most shocking thing to happen in New York City in quite some time. And it was on the front page of the newspapers for, for a long time. And everybody was really focused on this. So I have memories of this. And you have to remember that I also, when they describe the roots and the areas and the places. And I mean, I know Central Park like the back of my hand. I know the park very well. In fact, people, when they post on Instagram and they, they're anywhere in the park, I usually, even if there's not a major landmark around, I can usually tell with with a pretty high accuracy where that photo was taken in Central Park just based on the trees and the paths and what's around them. Um, so I've spent a lot of time there, played all of my grammar school and high school sports in Central Park, uh, ran, believe it or not, I used to be a long distance runner. Uh, I used to run frequently on all the trails there. So I know exactly where this is. So I just... By way of background, this is all very, uh, it, it all felt very, it hit very close to home to us. You know, my my own mother and my own sister jogged in the park for years and years and years. Um, and, you know, I would jog in the park. And, and it was It was also always really the beating heart of, in a lot of ways for a lot of people, felt like the, maybe not the beating heart, but the the oasis of New York City. I mean, everybody, it really feels like Manhattan was built around Central Park. So the idea that Central Park would be ceded at times to uh, criminal elements rampaging around it really affected people and was deeply upsetting and there had been for a long time stories about muggings and violence and things in the park but it usually wasn't quite as as vicious it wasn't quite as as horrific in any given year uh, as what you saw with the Central Park jogger case uh, which was just horrible beyond words And so over the weekend, I watched this one episode of the of the When They See Us show. And then I and I went and I thought to myself, okay, all right, I'm before I start drawing any conclusions about this, although it's hard not to because I'm pretty familiar with the case before anyone says, have you read all of the there are 200,000 pages of information that have been released about that case. Uh, And my understanding is there's actually a lot more information that we publicly released this fall including information that I think will be very, very damaging to the exoneration case, uh, such as it is. But you don't have to be familiar. Keep in mind, I mean, the jury didn't read all 200,000 pages either. I mean, this is at, at some point, a lot of this is just information to have that people will go to for reference. But there are key facts, key facts about this that you should know before I even get into those key facts. A few things. Um, the way that the actors uh, the actors were cast in this movie versus what the actors uh, looked like in real life, I just mean in terms of their size and physicality, that alone, it, it is very reminiscent of how you had, if you remember, Trayvon Martin, the photo that was always being used to show Trayvon Martin by the media, and where there was active media malpractice. I mean, there were people who, you're, there was a woman who was fired from, uh, I think it was either an ABC or NBC affiliate in florida for doctoring the audio and playing a doctored audio to make it sound like uh, uh what was his name zimmerman was racist right or, you know george zimmerman who keep in mind is like the first white hispanic i'd ever heard of before I mean, the guy's half hispanic he looks hispanic but they call, they called him white because it was more important for their for their narrative so, the so the press was putting their thumbs on that scale, no question about it, and they kept using this photo of Trayvon Martin from when he was twelve years, twelve or thirteen years old. He was eighteen during that fight. He was 18, 6 feet tall, and one hundred eighty five pounds. Why are you showing a photo of a twelve year old all the time? I mean, it just and, and in a in a like a grad like a eighth grade graduation cap. That, that's there's a reason they're doing that, right? This is also you see this. And, folks, this is why there's no such thing as a truly objective media. There's no such thing as just journalism, man, just the facts. Look at the photos that they pick of different senators. Look at how they depict people when there's some subjectivity involved in it. Some people always get their best photos picked. Some people always look like Darth Vader when the photo is picked of them. This is all done on purpose. You know, this is all done for a certain effect and to bring about a certain uh, response from the audience. But the kid that they have playing, Richardson in this documentary, looks to be about 10 or 11 years old. And he's crying, he's just crying and crying and crying for mommy. And, I mean, it looks like they have taken a a kid out of, you know, drawing with crayons in the nursery room and are screaming at him and threatening his parents. And, okay, let's get to the reality. Because I watched the entire Richardson interrogation tape over the weekend which you can do you can see for yourself and what you see there is a pretty sizable 16 year old kid I mean one that I could tell you you know if if he came at you and you weren't expecting it and remember these kids all admitted to punching people clotheslining people they admitted that was all admitted they they were engaged in gang violence in the park that was known this is this is understood they went around as a mob attacking people including a jogger before this, the, the woman that became known as the Central Park jogger who was male that they almost beat to death with a pipe, had to go to the hospital, fractured skull. So that's, the, these civil rights heroes were part of gang mob violence in the park, almost killed a guy. And by the way, if you're part of that, if you run up and kick somebody when they've already had their head caved in, you're, you're, that's a gang violence statute. You go away for, uh, or, uh, for 10 years for that, just for that. These kids all got treated as, except for one, as juveniles. women for five years. Some of you I know have come at me uh, on on the email over this. I, look, I, I appreciate the robust exchange of ideas. If you think these these people were innocent, you're wrong. I I I know all of the counter theories and the facts that none of this is compelling at all. You cannot explain to me why it is that Richardson again, because he's he's really key to this. There's you know Carrie Wise and there's there's obviously five of them, but why Richardson is picked up the night of the... Oh, and, uh, don't even... <sighs> sorry, I get very frustrated. The Netflix show, which is now being treated like it's a, it's a documentary and it's the reality, and it's not. Uh, it's, it's completely sensationalized. In one scene, they show bicyclists driving past them in the park, and the kids all go, you know, woo, and kind of make some scary noise at them as they... No, they chase them down and try to knock them off the bicycle and probably beat their heads to a pulp like they did the other guy. And like they did by the way to the jogger. That's right. These guys were guilty. We, we can all sit here and say, "Oh no, no, no!" Until someone explains to me why Richardson, who was a part of gang violence that same, and when I say gang violence, I mean group mob violence. Right? Doesn't mean, I'm not saying he was in an established gang, but he was part of mob violence. Was in the park for that purpose. Someone tell me why he is picked up by a black detective, by the way, who that night had no idea there had even been a rape in the park. And when they're questioning him and they ask how he got a scratch over uh, ne- next to his eye, says that, your par- says that the, the other cop did that to me. Now, let's just unpack this for a second. A little scratch? What cop takes his fingernail and does a little scratch under the eye of a, of a teenage kid they're picking up for unlawful assembly in the park? Now, I'm not saying that cops haven't done bad stuff and haven't ever taken out a baton and, you know, wrapped a kid on the hands or on the knees or something. A little scratch with a fingernail under the eye? I know a lot of cops, folks. I worked with a lot of cops. They don't don't say, hey, don't move. I'm going to scratch you under the eye. So Richardson had a scratch under his eye. This is all a matter of record. Says that the other cop did it cop says this is all on tape folks this is all on record other cop says or the cop says okay we're gonna bring him in here is that really what happened basically saying do you want to say this to that other guy's face and like you're really going to say that he scratched you under the eye with his fingernail how would that have happened and then he goes no the woman did it when i was trying to hold her down um how does that happen if he's if he's not there and a part of this whole thing how does he know to say that why, why, why is the woman did it all of a sudden the thing that he says? Why does one of their friends who is a, a teenage girl who thought that she was helping one of the Central Park Five? Why did she tell the cops? Well, no, he didn't actually rape her. He just held her down while the other guy did. Did someone coerce her? You look at these confessions. These confessions are not coerced. These kids are sitting there retelling what they know to have happened. They knew facts they could only know if they had been there. And if they if they were there in any capacity involved in the assault, even if it was just to run up and touch her on the shoulder while she was being violated, they are guilty. Do, do we have to live in this world where we can't deal in reality anymore? I mean, are there still people running around who think OJ didn't do it? You don't see this as a giant payoff to... Al Sharpton by de Blasio, his administration comes in. What about, what about What about the woman who was attacked? Do you ever hear about her? She didn't want this settlement to be made. She thought there were multiple attackers, not one attacker. She was so beaten and brain damaged that her memory of it is largely blacked out, but she thought there were multiple attackers. Medical uh, examination of her, multiple sized handprints on her. Someone want to explain that? Oh, the DNA, all the DNA proved is that somebody also raped her who was not there, which was initially the theory of the case. They knew this at the time. Somebody else was involved and got away. Oh, are we to believe it's coincidence that that guy who is a completely sadistic, homicidal rapist who should be, if you believe in the death penalty, that guy Reyes, I mean, I I would throw the switch myself. Do we think that he just happened to have a beef in prison with one of the Central Park Five and... They had problems with each other just because, because they did uh, carry wise. They, they had beef in prison. Why do you think they had beef in prison? Because Reyes had gotten away with it. Oh, did someone, is there another explanation? Rikers is a big place, folks. Somebody who was Central Park five and Reyes happened to be fighting in prison. Why was that? Huh? Why would they be fighting? Explain this. I mean, there are all these points that that cannot be explained by who go DNA exoneration. This is like, you know, whose streets are streets occupy Wall Street. It's just slogans. It's nonsense. Why wouldn't the city at least go to court to present its side of the case instead of writing a check for over 40 million dollars? 40 million dollars to a group of kids who are part of mob assaults all night in the park and who admitted on video with their legal guardians present? To questioning that I have heard. You can watch the videos, folks. Don't watch the Netflix thing. You better do this or we're going to get your dad fired from his job. It's all lies. You watch the actual interrogations. Completely respectful, completely professional. You know, what, what is this? What is the message that people really think that the system is so racist? That's what they think happened here? That the system was racist? Because... I want to know that they captured a bunch of kids who were engaged in criminal activity, serious criminal activity by their own admission, admitted to doing something horrible based on facts that they could have only known if they were at least there. And then all of a sudden the city decides for what seemed like transparently political reasons that they're just going to pretend like this thing never happened. I mean, if the people running the justice system in any context decide that there's something more important than the actual system, there's very little you can do about it. Look at Jussie Smollett. Now, maybe there's a special prosecutor, but yeah, Kim Fox, like Jussie, wanted to help him out, made the whole thing go away, locked it all up, nothing. No case, no publicity for the case either, no, no information to be public, just made it all go away. This is a reverse of that in a sense. This is, oh, we're going to exonerate these people, not not have the city defended by the way, NYPD people that I've talked to about this case, furious about it, furious. Right around when this was happening in New York City, and this is why this is... Near and dear to my heart, um, meaning that it's important to I me, mean, not like, you know, but this is something that really hits home. Uh, right around when this case happened, I mean, New York City was getting over 1,800, 2,000 murders a year. I think it hit an absolute peak in 1990 with 2,245 murders. Over 100,000 robberies reported a year in New York City. 100,000. That's a lot. There was lawlessness. There was a fear on the streets, I know, because I grew up there, and I remember. And then I lived there for years after where the fear was gone. New York City, folks, if you're listening now, it's very safe. I mean, no city is perfectly safe, but it's a very safe place. You should have no fear going to New York. I'll have a great time. This, this is the, uh, night and day compared to what it was when I was a kid, when this when this Central Park jogger case happened. We were always told, you know, got to watch out. People are going to rob you. People going to attack you, and, like, got to be careful on the streets, and, You know, don't go at certain places at night and all this. You know, the criminal element had taken control of part of the city. It was like an insurgency. And it was an insurgency that had to be fought. And this, like, retelling of the history where the real problem, you see, the real enemy, the real thing we have to be worried about is the police racism. Oh, that's the story. You know, not to those of us who actually lived in New York City in the 80s and the 90s, folks. That was not the real story. The real story was there were criminals running around all over the place, not getting in trouble and not getting caught. That was the problem. Thank you, Rudy Giuliani, for changing that. I don't always agree with everything Giuliani says these days, but man, he, he turned that city around. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. But now, they, now they, they question the tactics. They don't even question it. Now they say it's racist. It's all racist. So... Someone explain to me how how you have these. I mean, I'm open to it. Explain to me how you have the. Oh, it's if if your story is that just the cops pinned it on these kids when that woman was alive and could have woken up any day and said that it was one guy. Here's who did it. And then the whole police would have looked horrible, would have risked their careers, their their livelihoods to to get a bunch of random kids in trouble. It's an unserious point of view, folks. The cops didn't set them up. So if the cops didn't set them up, how do they know things? that they could not have known unless they were there, on the record, on tape. Huh, I don't know. Sounds like a pretty strong circumstantial case. All right, we'll be right back. All right, team, sorry, I got a little passionate about that last one. I probably spent way too much time reading through transcripts and watching the videos, and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make myself watch the rest of this Netflix documentary, but you know, I, I hate wrongful convictions when they happen. I really do, and I think that a lot of innocent people rather a lot of guilty people should go free to prevent one innocent people from one innocent person from going to jail i do believe that um i just don't believe those kids were innocent i don't believe it um i've looked at all the different theories and all the different evidence that's out there and what's going on now where there's this witch hunt uh for everyone involved in the case like they should be punished after the fact that's completely immoral it's totally wrong uh, i reached out to uh the one and only ann Coulter today she said she'll come on sometime this week to give us her view that's going to be uh it's going to be some fun stuff, so we will, we will get into it. Um, I want to hear from Ann on this one because she's, she's fearless, and she's as on this case as anybody else that I know, and I've never seen her have to retract something about this or be wrong in anything, uh, on any legal case for that matter, but we'll hopefully we'll get Ann later this week, and then we've got a big third hour Coming up, stay with me.
3: He's going to have to make a decision about whether or not he apologize To coddle the reputations of segregationists of people who, if they had their way, I would literally not be standing here as a member of the United States Senate, is, I think, um, it's just, it's misinformed.
1: Kamala Harris going for it against Joe Biden there. They're not letting this, not letting this go. Biden, who was Obama's vice president, his at least politically speaking, his right-hand man for eight years, all of a sudden the left has figured out that Biden's a racist? What? How does that work? Someone explain that one to me. Now all of a sudden Biden's a racist? I, I, they didn't know this for the eight years that he was, oh, okay, because he said something recently about working with, with senators, including senators who were segregationists at the time. One the the i think the the really clear hit on biden among all this put aside the partisan angle of it for a second is that biden's been in the senate way too long like this is a guy who should have been doing other things in life too i don't i don't think this is a badge of honor i, I know that i'm here in the swamp i'm in dc and we're supposed to all stand and applaud and stand and clap when we hear that so and so senator or so and so congressman has been around for 30 years or 40 years or whatever um, no, no, I I would prefer it if they did a couple terms and then went out went about being a normal human being, and lived among their fellow citizens and got a real job like a job job. But instead, you have the he, Biden is the prototypical permanent political class figure. Right? He is as much a creature of the Senate as anybody else in the Senate right now, and that he is also out of touch. And it seems like at any minute he's gonna ask if somebody can give him a walkman so he can listen to all the latest cool tunes, yo. Um, th- that that seems like he's he's a guy who is out of touch. I mean he's a guy who doesn't really know where the the heart and soul of the country is right now, which is not surprising, given how long the guy's been around and been in the game. And he's lost his he's lost whatever edge or whatever touch he had in the past even assuming that he was something of a a fraud and a charlatan all along, which I believe he was. But the the other lesson from this is that for the social justice left, no one is safe. In a sense, this is not a a new lesson. This is just what we have already seen for some time. But it doesn't even matter if you're Biden's VP. If the woke left-wing journo class decides that you are somebody that they need to make an example of, you're going down. They're going to do it. They're going to they're going to take you out. They're going to find a way to ruin your reputation, make you sound like all that other stuff you had done in your life. No matter how much you had worshiped at the altar of diversity, no matter how much you had pushed social justice and, you know, multiculturalism and all of these central themes to the progressives. You are disposable. And, they'll, and it's not just that you're disposable as in they'll fight against you if you stand in their way. They will still say that you're a racist. Nobody is immune from the left's charges of racism. Because if you're a minority who disagrees to the left, then they say that you're a, a traitor to your race, which we know they very openly do all the time. And if you're a white person, even if you had been in the good graces of the progressive left for a long time, if you've been an ally, as they call it, The moment that you are no longer useful, they will dispose of you. They do not need you anymore. And they will come at you with the very same tools of destruction they use. You know, the same. How do you defend yourself against a a critique or an assault of of racism? How do you do how do you prove that you're not a racist? Prove you're not a racist. This thing you said, a bunch of powerful minorities in the Democrat Party say that it's racist. Prove it's not. It's kind of a hard thing to do, isn't it? But then Crazy Joe comes along. Or is he Sleepy Joe? He's probably Crazy Joe and Sleepy Joe. And he decides that instead of, I don't know if taking the high road is even really an option for this guy ever, but he thought it would be best to just go even further and and say one of the crazier things I've I've heard in a while. This, to me, is Joe Biden trying to establish some kind of bona fides with minority community. This is Joe Biden trying to reach out and say, see, I'm hip, I'm cool. I know like what's going on in the urban sector, man. So then Joe Biden says things like this, play clip one.
2: There's so much we can do and it's within our capacity to do it. That's the interesting thing. And I think what's happening now is I think that uh, Donald Trump may have reawakened uh, sensibilities in this country to say, whoa, maybe we can do this now just like our generation was awakened when dr king and bobby kennedy were assassinated a lot whole generation said i'm back in man these millennials they get it man. Right? yeah and now they want to get engaged
1: these millennials man they get it yeah he's a joe biden's a hip cat yeah he's like he's such a pander yeah he's smooth he's cool he's joe biden yeah hey you know Like he's like all of a sudden he's uh, Duke Silver, Ron, Ron Swanson's jazz playing alter ego, Duke Silver, which is one of the great parts of the Ron Swanson character from Parks and Rec. Uh, Joe Biden just compared the election of Donald Trump to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. As a wake up call to people, I that remember Joe Biden's, you know, put you all back in chains guy. I mean, he he doesn't dog whistle. He dog uh, loudspeakers. You know, he he. He just blasts out stuff to try to burnish his credentials with certain communities. And it's appalling. It's appalling. Um, but I've I've been you will agree, I think, uh, team. Sorry, again, my cold is not totally gone, so my voice will be breaking sometimes during the show. Uh, you will recall that I've said along Biden's not their guy. He's not their guy. He's just not good enough. He's just not compelling enough. He's I don't want to say he's a loser because he has managed to get reelected to the Senate a you know, bajillion times. But uh, he's he, there's no reason for Biden to be president. and Everyone kind of knows that. Not Trump is not enough. There has to be more than that. And that's why you've seen the Praetorian Guard media. It's very much like the last scene in Gladiator, which is really a great movie, really holds up well. Remember the last scene in Gladiator when Maximus is fighting against Commodus in the ring, in the arena, uh, and the Praetorian Guard surrounds him, and then Commodus, who has been disarmed by a wounded Maximus, wants one of the Praetorian Guard members to give him a sword so he can finish off Maximus, and none of them will do it? Joe Biden's running around to the Praetorian Guard media saying, hey, aren't you guys going to you know, hold up your shields high and protect me? And they're like, nah, Joe, sorry. You're going to have to fight this one out on your own. And, you know, Obama's known this all along, which is why he hasn't endorsed Joe Biden. He's known. He's known that Biden was... Biden was just in the right place at the right time and got to be VP. Otherwise, he was just a, a pretty, you know, replaceable senator from Delaware. and Who really cares at the end of the day? And was on the wrong... On foreign policy, don't even get me started. I and mean, Biden's been on the wrong side of every major foreign policy issue for 40 years. That's not even... Just my analysis. That's what Bob Gates, who's a lifelong uh, defense bureaucrat, you know, was sec deaf and comes to the intelligence community, the secretary of defense. He was uh, he said that about Biden. It's right. Whenever there's an important foreign policy decision to make, you should just think, what does Joe Biden want to do? That's the opposite. I can tell you this just by way of uh, personal anecdote. I was working on the Iraq desk, the CIA when I heard Joe Biden give a speech to about 50 people when he was, you know, 0.001% in the polls in 2008. And his idea was that we should break Iraq up into three countries. Maybe this was even 2000. No, 2008. Yeah. We should break Iraq up into three countries, which sounds fine, except that the whole problem is how you break it up. And that's why there was already some degree of ethnic cleansing going on in the country where there are people getting rid of either Sunni or Shia from whole or Kurds from whole neighborhoods. And if you made that official, it just would have heightened the stakes even more. It was a horrible idea, a horrible idea. Um, But that was Joe Biden's big. That was his big winning solution at the time. So the left is not going to cover for Biden anymore. You're going to watch. They're going to he's going to get torn apart. I'm telling you, he will no longer be number one in the polls by Labor Day. That's my prediction to you. He will not last number one through Labor Day. Do you think human induced climate emergency is a threat to the United States? Well,
0: what, what I will tell you is that we'll always follow the science on that in this administration.
3: The science says but what, but what it we,
0: is. But what we won't do, and the Clean Power Plan was all about that, was hamstringing uh, energy in this country, raising the cost of utility rates. For working families across this country, but is it a threat? While other nations like China and India do absolutely nothing or make illusory promises decades down the road to deal with it. But is what people are calling a climate emergency is it a threat? Do
1: you think it's a threat man-made climate emergency is a threat
0: I, I think the answer to that is going to be based upon the science
1: well the science says yes i'm well, asking you what you think
0: there's many in the science that
1: the science community
0: debate, in your own administration I, yeah, at NOAA at noah yeah, uh it. at the at the dni they all say it's a I threat it. look what the but president you won't has said for some it. reason
1: oh the smug lib tapper look at that yeah. well, science says it's a threat the science tapper what do you know about science nothing let's start with that Second of all, science is not about consensus and politicized opinion making from within bureaucracies. Okay, it's a threat. What degree of threat? I mean, I wish I were there. Pence is a nice guy, but he's, he's not ready for the smarmy lib propagandist like Jake Tapper. He's just not up for the task, I think, unfortunately. He keeps dancing around the issue. We don't want to make the utilities. Yeah, that's true. We don't make utilities. higher. Okay, let's say it is a threat. How much of a threat, Mr. Tapper? Do you think that it's enough of a threat that we should abandon the carbon fuel based economy that we currently have that has led to untold prosperity that is necessary for the feeding of billions of people around the world for heating and cooling and electricity? Should we just toss that aside? What what level of threat is this? Here's a better way of asking the question, folks. What is what is the possibility? What is the threat profile of me being hit by a meteor? In the next 24 hours. I could sit there and ask Jake, Jake Tapper, do you, do you, is it a threat that you could be hit by a meteor? The science says it is a threat. It's probably one in, you know, 50 trillion, but it's a threat. He can't say that won't happen, that a meteorite won't won't strike his home when he's asleep in it. So this is, but this is what the propagandist does get you to concede a very broad, very vague point. And then try to make you do everything they want beyond that. Is man-made climate change a threat? I mean, sure. I think it's a one in a million threat. That that, that anything really bad is going to happen to the world because of man-made climate change. Maybe even one in 10,000. I'm not losing any sleep over it. The people that are the catastrophists who say it's an urgent threat are generally hypocrites and are entirely unserious about doing anything real to stop it. But they want control of everything in your life now. The economy. The economy. They want control of the political system. They want control of electricity, of business, of commerce now because it's such a threat. No, I don't want to give them that power. So I was a little disappointed. I mean, Pence, I don't know why he Well, I just think that he's not. Look, he's a nice guy. I think he's an ethical and a good fellow. But he's no one ever said that he's a real intellectual pugilist. He's He's not somebody who I've ever seen really mix it up with somebody. And notice how Tapper, you know, Belalant used to add. He's just kind of snippy with him at the end. He's just such a jerk. Do you think he was ever disrespectful like that? The Vice President Biden, who's an imbecile, by the way, as we've been discussing, really is. It's just, just a just a fraud. Just a, a glorified used appliance salesman. No offense to the used appliance salesman listening to the show. Okay, I just thought of you know that's just what came to mind. You're doing an honorable thing, and it's a, and it's a decent living. I don't know. Use Shamwow salesman. There we go. Everyone always likes that one. Use Shamwow salesman. Um, you know, he's just uh he's dealing with you know also why they will do this interview with Tapper in this way. You know, you know within DC people go, Oh, it's one of the Sunday shows. The only people that care about this live in DC, really. And do media commentary about the people who live in DC. But the science says Is it a threat? And the science says these are such this is what Tapper is trying to box Pence in with. And these are such vague terms as to just be meaningless other than as a tool of propaganda. The science says this. It's a really, really big threat. well, what do we do about that threat? How big a threat is it? And what do we do about it? That's what really matters. But if you concede their initial points, then they think everything else follows. Then we have to do. I mean, I would have turned around and said, Jake, do you think the Green New Deal is serious? And then you go, oh, I am not asked the question. You know, you all, know, you know, you know stumbly. Do you think they, this? See, this is why these CNN anchors—they have to be coddled and kept only on certain shows. They'll do the Colbert Show, which might as well be an extension of CNN now. I mean, it's just the politics are all completely aligned. They'll go to places where everyone claps for them and no one challenges them. They never have real exchanges with people that know what's up. They never do. None of the good conservatives that I know these days will even go on CNN, really. You start with that. None of the, none of the real deal people. Um, and it's a combination of they're not asked on or they just realize that they're going to be on and be shouted at. And they're going to be one of five people on air. And it's just not worth anyone's time. But I was a little frustrated here because I think that, that Pence, first of all, should have known that he's going in to speak to Smarmy Tapper, who is a smarmy. And as I've told you, is a nasty person. And it's very frustrating to be in the business and know that someone like Tapper, who's always oh, just everything is about building his brand. And he's this newsman. He's a jerk. He's not not a nice guy, has a very bad reputation uh, among those who aren't at CNN. I can tell you that. Um, And, you know, Pence should have known better. Pence should have been able to fight back a lot more. All right. so, So should we go Green New Deal? Should we kill all the cows? Stop all the farting? We rebuild all the houses? What, what what's the amount what's the amount of emergency activity that is justified by this threat oh but the international panel on climate yeah, the international panel on climate change is not scientists for the most part it's actually bureaucrats who work for the un and also they give a range a range of what they think the temperature will be a range of what they think the man-made warming will turn out to be they don't know they're just giving you an estimate and by the way the estimates they've given in the past were wrong so we're to ignore that now. And you just, Libs have really lost it. They, they focus in on all these things that are either never going to happen or are or just crazy. And they don't realize it's crazy. They, they think that you and I are the crazy ones. I mean, Tapper, I'm sure, went home, you know, probably stopped by the fancy country club on the way on Sunday and then went into, like, you know, his whatever castle he lives in here in D.C., uh, courtesy of Jeff Zucker and, and CNN International and all that. And, uh, you know, probably thought that he had done some great service for humanity by hammering a climate change skeptic. Meanwhile, every person that I know that debates this issue with the other side and, and who is familiar with not just the facts, but the basic logic and reasoning involved in this argument, the the climate change hysterics get crushed, get crushed, because ultimately you see who the big names are on that side. They're not they're not scientists that have policy proposals that are serious. It's A.O.C., it's Al Gore. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. This is just another giant vanity play. That's what's at the heart of so much liberal policy in this country. It's liberal politics. It's just vanity. It's all, oh, I'm so great. I think this because I'm smart. I think this because I'm nice. A lot of stuff that I think is a conservative, I'm like, man, it'd be fun to believe the other stuff. And it'd be fun to believe that like everyone can just do whatever they want. Who really cares? But No. I try to live in the real world where there's cause and effect and consequence and individual responsibility and things like that. But it'd be a lot more fun to be a lib, it'd be a lot more fun to be smug tapper, fake Jake coming after Mike Pence. I, I Look, I like Pence, but he needed to do a better job pushing back on that stuff. We'll be right back. You know, this is one of my favorite topics, which is that what does science really know? What does science really know? I, I, I like to ask that question because we think science knows a lot. And then we think more about it. And we realize science has got a long way to go on a lot of stuff. And today just is, is another one for that. You know, it, is milk good for you? Are eggs good for you? Is butter good for you? Should you eat before or after working out? Should you do intermittent fasting or should you spread six to eight meals throughout the day? Should blah, 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 blah. No one really seems to know. And I understand there are more complicated answers out there like, well, you should do what works for you, what's right for you, and our genetics aren't all the same. Ah, genetics should play a very important role in all of our lives, but we are constantly made to believe, made to think that genetics are irrelevant. If I had wanted to be a all-star wide receiver, I just needed to work harder at it, right? That's what I'm told. It's not really true. And, barely scraping the bottom of six feet and i was never going to run a 4 but nonetheless we're all told that it's just a matter of your hopes and dreams and chasing them right um our our genetics are all different our bodies react differently to different things that is true but you would think something as straightforward as vitamin d supplements and heart health would be within the purview of science to determine and today there's a study it was up on drudge report and this is what it says If you're taking vitamin D supplements every day to improve your heart's health and reduce your chances of suffering from cardiovascular disease, you're likely wasting your money. Researchers from Michigan State University say that both men and women who take vitamin D aren't any more protected against heart attacks, strokes, or related heart conditions than those who don't. The authors were surprised by their discovery since prior research pointed to a link between lower levels of vitamin D in the blood and cardiovascular disease researchers this is all from studyfinds.org researchers gathered data from 21 clinical uh, clinical trials assessing results of more than 83,000 patients across these studies half the participants took vitamin d supplements the other half took placebos no changes between the two of them so this is a very very big study about whether vitamin d will help your heart or not vitamin d supplements will this help your heart i guess people have thought this for a long time turns out that When you really do a large-scale study of this, the answer is no, it doesn't. Um, Just keep in mind that until about, I'd say 10 years ago maybe, although I'm, I'm guessing, there was a belief that the dietary cholesterol you ate was what caused bad cholesterol in the bloodstream that could lead to a blockage and a heart attack. And now it turns out that that's not really true. And in fact, eating too much sugar and elevated glucose levels in the blood over a long period of time and type two diabetes and also the uh, heart disease that that's the much bigger concern. We're still just figuring out the basics folks. This is what I, what I really come down to. I, we have all these discussions over healthcare and medicine and it's a little scary when you go in and you know what the doctors don't know. And you start asking some questions uh, they have been very well trained at identifying ailments and generally speaking, uh, either treating the symptoms of the ailments or trying to find some mechanical way to correct the issue. That's for, you know, orthopedic surgery or heart surgery, just change the physical structure of your body with surgery. Uh, but when you get into the root cause of different ailments and, and how to really treat them, it, it's, I'm not saying they don't know anything, but there's a lot of, we are, you know, we are in the infancy of our species when it comes to knowledge about medicine and, and, and the human body. We are really in, in our infancy. There's still so much that is not known. We have this massive, you know, health industrial complex out there, and it really is still driven by, you know, where, where are the dollars going? It's going to testing. It's going to treatment, not cure. There's just it, it's amazing to me. I I keep finding more and more of these areas of, of human health where you really have to take it upon yourself to figure out what works for you and to the degree that you can, become your own doctor. You know, that's really that's really uh what I think you need to just take from this is that you have to I mean, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor, but I mean you have to become your own Forget, forget, be your own doctor. That's a bad way of saying it. You have to be your own health advocate. Your own health advocate. So, does vitamin D work? According to this 83,000 patient study, no. So, a lot of people have been taking vitamin D and just because. Maybe there's a placebo effect. Who knows? Roll calls up. Rock and roll, fellow patriots.
2: We made ours go up to 11.
1: it's time for roll call. Roll call, everybody! Yeah! Woo! It's the roll call. I don't know if that, yeah, you know what? I'm leaning into it today. Because I, I still have a cold, but it's not as bad as it was. So waking up not feeling incredibly sick makes you appreciate a little more that uh, you your health is a, a thing that you need. Your health is important, That's, that is for sure. Uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for roll call. And let's get to it. Melissa. Radio appropriate. Well, that's good to know because I'm reading it on live radio, Melissa. The husband is trapped in the swamp. Any suggestions on a great place to eat? He's over by the arena for the next week and could use a good meal or two. Something heavily meat based. Thanks. And shields high. Oh, Melissa. Uh, I would say, mm, man, there's a lot of a lot of territory here. I would tell him to go to Old Ebbett Grill if he wants one of the old standbys here in D.C. for a nice steak and a very old-school vibe. The Old Ebbett Grill is right next to the White House. Um, for something a little more spicy and interesting, he could check out some of the Jose Andreas restaurants here. Uh, he could go to... Uh, Oyamel, which is Jose Andres, I believe. Uh, you could also go to uh, Zaitinia, which is an old standby here. And if he wants Mexican, I would say go to Espita Mezcaleria. If you wants something that's a little bit of a classic. Oh, and obviously for a burger, go to the Trump International Hotel. There we go. I feel like I should be sponsored by them at this point. I'm talking about the Trump a lot here on the show. Those would be my options. So I'd say Old Ebbett Grill, Espita Mezcaleria, Oyamel, And Trump International, those would all be very good choices. D.C.'s got a lot of restaurants, but a lot of mediocre restaurants and a lot of chain restaurants. And if you're a visitor, I feel like you generally don't want to be spending your time and money on a restaurant you could go to at home, right? So I'm sure there's like a Ruth's Chris here somewhere, but there's also that in a lot of other cities. So I would not recommend for a visitor to go check that out. Uh, Katie writes... Hey, Buck, for the longest time, the rule in polite circles has been no religion and no politics. Now politics has gone cutthroat in something as benign as knitting. For the last few years, the knitting website Ravelry has been a vocal supporter of progressive ideology. Today they announced a ban on Trump supporters. Oh, no. Banning Trump supporters from the knitting community? What's next? The crocheting community? Have you no decency knitting community? I can't even, I don't even know enough about knitting to make more jokes than that. I got nothing. So what's the problem with just dropping them? Ravelry has established themselves as a compendium of knit and crochet, there we go, crochet patterns, and a vital reference for knit professionals and hobbyists. As an indie pattern designer, ooh, that sounds cool, Katie, no one will find my patterns without this ubiquitous knitter's tool. So I'm shooting myself in the foot, but I'm removing my patterns from Ravelry. I hope users leave Ravelry in droves. I don't know how much crossover there is, but if you have listeners who use this resource, I encourage them to go to the designers directly rather than buying through Ravelry. Thanks, Katie. Katie, very interesting. Give me a little peek behind the scenes into the rough and tumble world of the crochet and knitting wars. Good to know that you're holding your shield high or your yarn ball. Harry! Harry! uh-oh harry i don't know what you did you said harry what happened whatever you sent me it's not not showing up pablo hey buck you said you were looking for a rum that's not made from grain try cruzan rum it's made in saint croix and even the lowest tier can be consumed on the rocks although i do recommend spending a little more on the upper tier also try gosling's black seal it's made in bermuda and it's really easy to drink if you don't like dark rum steer clear of gosling's shields high pablo well, Pablo, muchos gracias, my friend. I appreciate you sending this in. Um, let's see here. Uh, I I thought rum was generally made from sugar cane, and so it wouldn't be glutinous, but sometimes they'll mix in some malt flavor or malt uh, malt with the beverage that will, I don't know why they do Probably just to cut it, make it cheaper. But so some spirits, yeah, I have to be careful because I'll mix in some malt liquor with it that comes from a grain. Um... All right, Pablo, thank you for... I, I will check that out. Let's try Cruzan rum. All right, I'll check out some Cruzan rum. Chris um, sent me a clip from Homeland. Thank you, Chris. Andrea writes, uh, something she wants me to share. Oh, I got to read that later, Andrea. Tim writes, Buck, it's been weeks since you took a call on air from Team Buck. I love my wife of 25 years with all my heart. I could never listen to her 15 hours a week. What the heck is up? What's wrong? Address this. Fix this. Um, well Tim, you know man, sometimes we open the lines and we don't get we don't get folks that are calling in the way we want them to. So, I mean, I'll do it. I'll, don't don't get me wrong, we'll, we'll open up the lines again, but if we open up the lines, those of you who like calls need to call. Because I get a lot more complaints when we take calls than I get requests that we take calls. I'm just telling you. Now look, I'm I'm in the pleasing team buck business. And we always I, if I open up the lines for more than a half an hour, we take, you know, a couple of segments worth of calls. I get a lot of people saying, look, you know, the calls are fine, but people can write in and we can do roll call. You don't have to do that. I'm glad that you like the calls, Tim. And I love talking to you guys. So we'll do it. We'll open it up. And I'm just saying every time I say, all right, guys, lines are open and we do that. And then if if we're not feeling like we're getting lit up like a Christmas tree. You know, we got it or, or if we get a lot of complaints about the calls from other people in Team Buck, you know, it's a balancing act, my man. I got to keep got to keep the team happy. But I'm taking your I'm taking your suggestion, uh, suggestion, speak English, Buck, under advisement. Um, let's see. Donna writes, Buck, I love your broadcast. I want to apologize for a message about the podcast speed. My granddaughter messed with the speed of the app. Well, Donna. Sometimes it's on our end with the podcast mess-up, and sometimes it is not. So there you go. There's that going on. Let's see. Misty. I wouldn't necessarily consider all of AOC's Twitter followers to be supporters. She is so insanely stupid. I would assume many follow her for entertainment value. Shields high. Misty, I think you're correct. I mean, I follow AOC, and I'm certainly not an AOC supporter. I just go back and forth on whether she is more about, you know, whether she's um, somebody that's more entertaining or more frightening, because I can make a case for both. I think she really is uh, indicative of a mindset that is taking over the left. I don't think that it's uh, I don't think that she's an anomaly. I don't think she's an outlier. I think that she is where the left is now. Bill writes, uh, hold on. Phil, rather, writes, No need to watch the whole movie when there's YouTube. Here's a clip of Dr. Strange Glove. Major Kong rides the bomb. Um, all right, Phil. I'll have to watch that when I'm not on the air. Thank you. Max writes, Hey, Buck, the last hour on Wednesday still gets preempted in Boston. Could Chuck and Nancy be behind this? Oh, man. Shields high. Max. Oh, max i wish i could look man you know for some of you you're just gonna if you miss part of the show just get in the habit of, of pulling the podcast up on your phone it's free all of you even if you're a live radio listener you should get in the habit please if you would if you would do me this honor subscribe to the podcast and that way if you ever have a problem or you can't you can't hear it live on your local station you can listen to the the full audio of the show at your leisure so please do uh, subscribe to the podcast, and those of you who are not, if you're a radio listener and you don't listen to podcast I would offer to you that you know this is it's kind of like the cd to mp3 switch you know this is this is happening and I think the sooner you get used to at least listening to some things on podcast the happier you'll be with some of your uh, overall experience you know some look there's nothing that can replace the greatness of listening on live radio as live radio but especially if you're missing content because we're preempted somewhere I want you to hear this whole show and you can always do that, and it is always free, and you can do that either on the iHeart Radio app or on iTunes. Just type in The Buck Sexton Show. Uh, fantastic! Which is a pretty cool name. Hey Buck, you asked about sipping rum. I like Thomas Chew's rum brewed in Newport, Rhode Island and plantation rum. 69% overproof. They're both very tasty, but be careful of the overproof. It'll knock you down pretty quickly. Well, uh, fantastic. I have the I have the tolerance of a, you know, 110 pound sorority girl right now in terms of what I can drink before I get lit. So I'll have to be careful with that sixty-nine proof overproof rather rum. Yeah, I I think about the drinking habits of my peers in college and what I can handle now. If I have more than three glasses of wine the next day, I'm like I'm so slow. I can't move. You know, it really three three glasses of wine. People in DC make fun of me because that's some of the rowdy, younger Trump supporters that I associate with, they can drink quite a bunch more. In their, and they're in their late 20s and early 30s, so they still have those, those booze legs. I'm, I like to go home and drink tea and wear pajamas and watch Netflix in the peace of my own home. That's how I rock out. That's how I get down. Uh, let's see. Richard right? You can say a buck Sotomayor is a moron (laughs) and an Obama stooge and Richard Sotomayor is kind of a moron. And it's amazing that she's on the Supreme Court because you read her if you read the decisions that are going out under her name, I know the staffs are involved, but she's just not a she's just not a very sharp intellect. She's just not, you know, and it's not a lib thing. I, I would never tell you that, you know, Kagan is a sharp lady. She's very smart. Um. Ginsburg is, is a well, I mean, she's slowed down a little bit, but she's also smart. She's just wrong on everything and is a is a, a super lib. But uh, sort of, I mean, or she's not smart. I, I don't know why you know people get oh you can't say. That. No, she's just not that smart. I mean, she's probably she's probably like, you know, uh, I'd say average. She's a person of average intellect, um, but has been promoted and pushed through. And we're all supposed to believe because she's on the Supreme Court that she's so impressive. Here, here's a novel thing for some people on the left. Very dumb people can get very far in life sometimes. They certainly say that about Republicans all the time. Turns out it goes both ways. That's going to be the show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you thought it was a doozy. Uh, We're going to have a great, great week on radio. So be sure to download that podcast. Subscribe to it. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.